Now, we've been talking about uh, hearing from God. And we're talking about there's all kinds of waves going on in the universe. But if you're not tuned into those waves, you can't hear them. Like right now, if we could see into the wave universe, you would see that there are FM waves going through this room. But if you don't have if you're not tuned into the FM receiver, if you don't have an FM receiver, and you're tuned into the right station. You're not going to hear it. There are AM waves. There are television waves that are going through here. Internet waves there. I'm sure you'll hear a cell phone wave going on sometime in this service today. But unless you're tuned into it, you're not ever going to hear it. And the same is true with God. Uh, God has given us all the equipment that we... Dude, you can't be in the band and have your cell phone on. I mean, what's, what's the deal? For you. Okay. Hello? Dude, like we're in the middle of church. Uh, you should be here. Okay, we'll see you. Bye. Now that got your attention. We're just staging that. Jeff called. Y'all <laughs> <laughs> were all like, oh, somebody called. And that just reminds me, mine's not on silent. I need to put mine on silent. Because um, that would startle me. Mine's not anymore, by the way. Yours is not on silent anymore? Not anymore. I'm going to turn yours off, dude. Oh, well. Now, the whole point is that if that were to happen at my house, I don't know if this happens at your house, but at my house, if the phone rings... My 10-year-old is like, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? I'm like, it's not for you. It's none of your business, dude. And then when you hang up, who is it? Well, it's still not for you. Well, what they want? My 10-year-old. I'm like, dude, you're 10. Just be 10. Let me be the dad. I'll, I'll handle it. It happened yesterday. He was asking me about something. I'm like, let me be in charge. You be 10. And it's frustrating. Or how about this? Have you ever gotten a message like three or four days late? Oh, Somebody calls. My 10-year-old answers the phone. Hello. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, bye. A week later, oh, Dad, Mr. Chris called you last week, and it was real important. I'm like, God, you're so embarrassed because people don't give you the message. Well, the thing is, God has given us the equipment we need to hear, and we just don't know how to use it. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today is how you know if the voice comes from God or how do you know it's coming from Satan? How do you know it's not the pizza that you ate last night? You know, those types of things. Proverbs 14, 12 says, what you think is uh, is the right road may lead to death. If you tune into the wrong channel, you are not going to hear God and you're going to hear another voice, which could be the devil or it could be somebody else that the devil is using to get you off the right track. So it's very important to know when it's God talking or you talking. And, And Satan talks to you all the time. You know what we call that? We call it temptation. He puts these little thoughts in your mind and tries to get your attention and tries to get you to do things that you know are wrong. And uh, a lot of things today get blamed on God that really came from the devil. And that's what we're going to try to figure out. How do you know? It's not God's fault. When people say, God told me to do this, and they didn't really hear from God, when you know it's their own desires or their own imagination or something like that, it's really just the devil. You've heard of people in this state who killed their children and they said, God told me to do it. That's not from God. Those people are insane. God will not tell you to kill your children. So we've got to figure out how in the world do you know that it's really from God. The Bible says this in John, uh, 1 John 4, 1. Don't always believe everything you hear just because someone says it is a message from God. Test it first to see if it really is. If you have your listening guides, that verse is on there, 1 John 4, 1. I want you to circle those words. Test it first. Test it first to see if it really is. Don't always believe everything you hear just because someone says it's a message from God. Test it first to see if it really is. We need to test and hear 
from God. Now, the Bible, what I really like about the Bible is it's this collection of stories about real people in real life situations. And sometimes they do the right thing. Sometimes they do the wrong thing. And I can relate to that. I don't know about you. I can't relate to somebody that always does the right thing. That doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't compute in my brain because I do the wrong thing a lot of times. And the Bible tells us stories about and one particular one we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 16, where the same person can flip-flop. One minute they're hearing from God, and the very next minute they're hearing from the devil. And it, and it kind of goes like this. Jesus asked the disciples, and he says, Who does the world say that I am? And they start saying, Elijah, or one of the prophets, or a great man of God. And then Jesus looks at his followers, and he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commends him. He goes, Oh, the world did not give you that idea, Peter. That idea came from God. And not ten seconds later, Jesus starts explaining that he is going to have to go to Jerusalem and die for the sins of all mankind. And so Peter, he kind of goes wacko. He gets a little testy and he pulls Jesus uh, to the side and he goes, Whoa, hold on a minute, Mr. Son of God. That's nuts. That is not what you need to be doing. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Get behind me because that idea is from Satan. You will not keep me from doing what God has told me to do. Same guy within a matter of seconds. One minute he's hearing from God. The next minute he's hearing from Satan. And he's being used by Satan to try to thwart God's plan. How in the world are we supposed to know? Because one minute you and I do the same thing. One minute we are having a godly conversation with the risen Jesus Christ. The next minute we are in the flesh. And when we're in the flesh, we can be some of the ugliest, rudest, meanest people in the world. How can we do that? How can we know when a message comes from God? Jesus said in John seven seventeen, anyone who wants to do his will, and that means God's will, can test this teaching and know whether it's from God or whether I'm making it up. Today, we're going to look at five ways that you test and you can know for sure whether it comes from God or not. And the thing is, you don't get to pick and choose which ones you like. Oh, I'll take one, three, and five, and I'll throw out two and four. No, it doesn't work like that. You've got to line them all up. And together they form this filter where if, if you have an idea and you take it through this filter and all five of these agree that, yes, it's a message from God, you can know for certain that this comes from God. But by the same token, if one of them doesn't line up, then I would seriously question whether that's a message from God or not. We're going to sing some more, and then we'll find out that test. Aren't they good? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. That's all right. Clapping's allowed. Now, wouldn't it be cool if the God of the universe would tell you what you needed to do? Wouldn't that be cool? He's promised to do that. But we don't listen. Remember, we started back at the first of this series and we said that God speaks in a gentle whisper. And the secret that I shared three weeks ago was that God has been whispering to you all week long. But you've not been listening. The reason you don't hear God speak is that you're not listening. So the first key was to get alone in a quiet place. I mean, just what David was talking about. Get alone in a quiet place if you want to hear from God. And then once you've heard a message, because Janie used to be amazed because I would have my time with God and sometimes I'd be out in the yard working. And, you know, I'd, if I had a message that I was going to preach at one of the churches I'd been at before where I was youth minister, I'd say, man, I have no idea what I'm going to say. And, you know, I'd pray and I'd be out in the yard. Nobody's around. I'm pulling weeds. And all of a sudden it's just like I knew it. I'd come back in. I'd say, I know what I'm supposed to preach on. 
She goes, you were pulling weeds. God talked to you while you were pulling weeds. I said, I don't know when he's going to talk to me. I just told him that I'd be listening whenever he wanted to talk to me. So you can do it when you're pulling weeds. You can do it when you're driving your car, but only if you're listening. Now, let's talk about this filter, these five questions that you can ask of any message that you think is from God. And by the time you get through this filter, you'll know whether it's from God or not. First one, very first one. Does it agree with the Bible? Because if it contradicts with God's word, with whatever you think God has told you contradicts with God's word, then guess what? It is not from God. We can stop right there. Don't even need to go to the other four. The Bible is God's word given to us thousands of years ago, and God will never tell you to violate a principle that he's put in his word. That's because God is consistent. Now, Jesus said these words. You have this on your listening guide. Luke 21, 33. The sky and the earth won't last forever, but my words will. He's saying what he has spoken. Do you remember back in Genesis? How was the world created? It says the Lord spoke and it was. God's word is true and it always will be. Proverbs 12, 19 says truth stands the test of time. Well, what does that mean? That means if it's true, it's always been true. It didn't suddenly become true, didn't evolve into truth. It's either always been true or it's always been false. God's word has always been true because truth is not new. If it's new, it's not truth. Because truth has been around forever for 2000 years. If it was true 2000 years ago, then it's true a thousand years ago. It's true 50 years ago. It's true today. And it will be true 5000 years from now because truth is consistent. Truth stands the test of time. Have you noticed that fads change? Um, how many of you grew up in the 70s? I mean, that was kind of when you were. I mean, I was I'm a 70s. Jeff, you're older than that. Um, <laughs> you're 60s, man. Quit cheating. Um, but in the 70s, I mean, you're, you're none of y'all, David, I know you did. You're two years older than I am. Uh, yeah, I see. OK, thank you for participating there, Dwayne. Um, have you noticed that the fads from 35 years ago have come full circle? Fads change. What's cool now? It's not new. We did it. Our parents hated it. Now we hate it as parents. You know, we understand where our parents are coming from. Therapies change. Trends change. Popular opinion change. You ever notice that? What can, you know, popular opinion last year is not necessarily popular opinion today. Um, even science changes. Have you noticed that we change science textbooks? 20-year-old science textbooks are out of date. Why? Because we've discovered some things. We even discovered some errors in a lot of the textbooks. Those things change. But the truth of God never changes. So God would never say something and then later come back and go, Oh, no, no. We changed our mind. We don't really believe that anymore. And by the way, some of the world religions today, the reason you know they are false is because they have hundreds and hundreds of revisions in the text that they supposedly use because they say, oh, that was back then. We no longer believe that today. Well, that's a red flag shoots right up. OK, your whole stinking religion isn't true if you're changing because truth stands the test of time. And so if God says something in the Bible, he's not going to change it. So if God says it and he does, if he says, pay your taxes if you get this impression, you know, coming up to April 15th that, well, I could shave a little bit off here and I could save some money. That is not from God because God's not going to give you something that contradicts his word. All kinds of truths in this book about how to do life. God tells you how to have a wonderful marriage. Wonder why some of our marriages are, are not so wonderful It's because we're not following the principles God's already laid out here. He tells you how, how to be prosperous in business, how to have a, a great life. There are life and death issues, parenting truths, relational truths, all kinds of truths in here. And these truths do not change. That's why this book is so special. It's why it's the bestseller of all times, because when people have tried everything else, they want to go back to something that does not change. There it is. 
God's word does not change. Now, if he meant it then, he means it now. And, and in fact, in the New Testament, Paul, who wrote most of the books of the New Testament, 13 or 14, one of them we're not sure about, but he wrote at least half of the books of the New Testament. Uh, he says this, even if I contradict the Bible, do not listen to me. He was one of the greatest preachers of his time. But he says, if I contradict something that's already said in God's word, you don't listen to me. You study it and you just disregard what I had to say. And then he goes on. He says, even if an angel appeared to you and said, we've got new revelation, the Bible, little out of date. We need to bring it up to today's standards. We need to change some things. Here's a new book, new stuff, up to date things. It's not just the Bible. It's the Bible plus this book. Most, God says ignore that because, it, well, let's just look at this. The Bible says this in Galatians 1.8. Now, I didn't put this on your list, guys, so you might just jot down that reference, Galatians 1.8, but it's up here on the screen. And we have that. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including myself, who preaches any other message. This is Paul. And he's saying any other message besides what, what is already contained in the Bible. Even if an angel comes from heaven and preaches any other message, let him be forever cursed. I want you to have that reference because I've had people standing at my front door telling me that an angel told their founder to start a religion. And I've quoted this verse to him. I'm like, hello, this verse says if even an angel contradicts something that's in the Bible or says you need something new, then you disregard it. It is not truth because God's word stands the test of time. And most cults, if many, if not most. Cults that have started today start because someone says an angel came to me and said, it's this plus the Bible. You need more revelation. We got new stuff. And you just you just write that off because God's word stands the test of time and he's not going to change it. The Bible is true. So the first thing you do with an impression, you say, does it match up with the Bible? The vast majority of God's will for your life is right here. We say 95% of what God wants you to do is contained within the pages of this book. How come we don't know God's will for our life? Because we don't know this book. We don't spend any time with this book. If this is God's word, you know, I've never thrown away any of the love letters that Janie's written me. Ever. And, and I, every once in a while, I'll find them in my, in my desk. And I just like to pull them out. And by the way, she's here. She hadn't been here in months. She's always downstairs with the, the kids. And so um, everybody say hi to Janie. Way better. She looks good, doesn't she? Some of you never met her. That's what's funny. We've got so many new people in the church. And they, they don't even know who my wife is. Well, there she is. She's back there. Um, but I've not ever thrown away any of her love letters. Why? Because I like reading them. This is God's love letter to us. But we act like, you know... It's medicine that we have to take or something. Actually, it is. It's medicine that can fix your life. And I, I just got to ask you something. How much time do you spend in this Bible? I mean, don't answer that because some of you are like, oh, no, I don't want to tell that. We've been talking about prayer. But in our class 201, we just did this a couple weeks ago and we're going to do another one um, in January. We talked about meditation. You see, prayer lets you talk to God. And this is huge. Meditation lets God talk to you. Meditation on God's word. If you don't know God's word, you are giving up a huge opportunity to hear from the creator of the universe. Prayer lets you talk to God. Meditation on God's word lets him talk to you. So if we were to look at just the percentages of how much time you spend in God's word and how much time you spend watching TV. And then we were to say, where do you get your ideas from? Do they come from God or do they come from TV or Internet or movies or whatever or music? 
most of us, our ideas, the reason they're so far off track is because they didn't come from God in the first place. They come from the word, the world, and we need to test them against God's word. All right. So that's the first thing. Does it agree with the Bible? Second test. Does it make me more like Christ? Does it make me more like Christ? God's stated goal in, first of all, creating you, but then saving you. We talk about uh, stepping across the line of faith. You have to believe in Christ in order to become a part of his family. Well, God wants you to bear the family resemblance. And so everything he does in your life, he is molding molding you and shaping you to look more like Jesus Christ. And so when an impression comes, if you want to know if this is a characteristic that would help you look more like Christ or if this is a characteristic that would that would uh, help you look more like the world, then this is a good checklist that will help you know that it's good to have have with you any time that you're making a decision. So here it is. James three fifteen and 17. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, inspired by the devil. Circle those words inspired by the devil. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure and full of quiet gentleness. Then it is peace-loving and courteous. It allows discussion, is willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It is wholehearted and straightforward and sincere. Now, let's just walk through this verse step by step, and this will help us understand whether something comes from God or not. Jealousy and selfishness are inspired by whom? By the devil. That's what the verse tells us right there. So anything, anytime you want to do something that's motivated by jealousy or selfishness, it is not from God. Retaliation against someone is not from God. Getting even with somebody. If it's something that grows out of a desire, a jealous desire to be like someone or to have something that someone else has, if it motivates you to go out and do something or buy something just so you can be like someone else, it is not from God. They're strong feelings. We get those ideas all the time. They're strong feelings. I'm not denying that, but they're feelings that don't come from God. God's not going to give you any self-serving ideas because you and I get those enough on our own. God doesn't have to supply those. The ideas that come from God are going to be to serve others and make a difference in their lives. There's also a list here of how you can know the idea is from God. So let's look through this checklist. I've got this idea. Is it pure? If it's impure, obviously it's not from God. And you're going to say, well, duh, that sounds pretty obvious. You would be amazed at how many things people try to do that are impure and they try to convince themselves and other people that it's from God. That it's okay with God from doing if it's impure, it is not from God. Now, keep on going through the list. Is it gentle, peace, loving and courteous? God's going to give you impressions that that promote harmony and not conflict. That's what he does. When God speaks to you, he's concerned about the impact his message to you is going to have on other people. God's not going to give you an impression that screws up somebody else's life. God doesn't do that. That's not his business. Now, there's another one. It allows discussion and yields to others. You know what that basically is saying? It it means it's humble. If you've really heard from God, you're not going to be worried about sharing that with other Christians and, and having their input on it. It's God's idea anyway. It didn't come from you. But if you find somebody who's proud and arrogant and they will not listen to the ideas of others, then that is not from God. That's their own judgmentalism, their own prejudices. Some of the people that, that claim to be followers of God deep. I've, I've walked with God for 50 years. They're some of the most negative, judgmental people that I've ever seen in my life. And I don't think God speaks to them on a regular basis because, it, first of all, if you hear from God, I like it when God speaks to me and it kind of tells my face, you know, and I kind of smile. Dude, I heard this from God. And we'll tell you how to test that some more. But these people 
look like they've been sucking on lemons or, you know, something like that. I'm, I'm afraid most of them have not heard from God. Well, what else? It's also full of mercy. It's sincere. It doesn't try to manipulate and control others. This character checklist is really just the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And so just to boil it all down is what I'm hearing from God. The message that I hear from God does it make me look more like Jesus. If the answer is no, throw it out, because that's God's stated goal for your life is to make you look more like Christ. All right. The third thing, does my church family confirm it? Does my church family confirm it? You see, you need the wisdom and counsel and advice of other godly people in your life to help you stay on track. God never meant for you to go through life as a Lone Ranger Christian, as somebody who's doing things on your own. That's why I created the church family, because we need each other. Anybody here have the right answer every time? Let me see your hand. Jason says he has the right answer every time. He's just joking. Because you know that's not true, don't you, Jason? None of us have the right answer every time. Nobody has all the right ideas. Nobody hears everything cor- uh, correctly every time from God. That's why we need each other. We've got to have spiritually mature friends to bounce our ideas off of and say, give me some input. Am I nuts or is this really a message that God has given me? Ephesians 3.10 says God's intent is that through the church, circle those words, through the church. That's very important. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. If God has genuinely spoken to you, you've got an idea, an impression from God. If it's really from God, other mature believers will confirm that. They'll say, you're right, you did hear from God. If they do not confirm it, you have every right to question whether you've heard from God. I mean, that, that would stop me right there. If people that I trust, mature Christians, they've been walking with God longer than I have. If, if I say, what do you think about this idea? And, and they don't agree with it, then I need to listen to their advice. If you get an idea and no mature, you cannot find a mature Christian who confirms the idea is from God. Guess what? You're wrong. And you go back to that checklist and say, humble and allows discussion because you're just flat out wrong. And, and they're going to help you steer clear of some things that will hurt you. I mean, look what Proverbs eleven nine says. The wisdom of the righteous can save you. Save you from what? Well, <laughs> Save you time, money, energy, save you from mistakes, save you from failure, save save you from danger, from embarrassment. That's why you need other believers. That's why you need to be in a small group. I have said this uh, almost every week for the past two months. You need to be in a small group because in a group this size, we can't discuss the things. You can't say, oh, yeah, what about that? That's what a small group is designed for. You can worship in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship in a crowd. You want to get to know somebody on a personal level, go to their house, eat with them, open up the Bible and start discussing it. And you get to know people real fast and then pray with them. And God does something with your soul and knits your hearts together. Our small group today, we're just going to have a party. We're, we're just going to ride four-wheelers and freeze ourselves to death outside. I mean, that's what we, we discussed that we were going to do. We're going to have a barbecue, and we're just going to do life together because we like each other. <laughs> we like spending time together. Get in a small group if you're not. And somebody's going to say, when are, you, when are you going to quit telling us to do that? When everybody's in a small group. So if you're in a small group, find somebody who's not and say, it's your fault. He keeps saying that. Get in a small group. Now, the two biggest reasons people mess up their lives. You ready for this? Two biggest reasons people screw up in their lives. Number one, they don't have any spiritually mature friends. Or number two, they don't listen to the spiritually mature friends if they have them. Two biggest reasons people screw up in life. All right, so first, does it agree with the Bible? Second, does it make me look more like Christ? And third, does my church family confirm it? Number four, 
Is it consistent with how God shaped me? This is one of my favorites. Before you were born, God chose the contribution that he wanted you to make in this world. But because he's a gentleman, he will not force that contribution on you. When you were in your mother's womb, Psalm 139 says that God knit you together in your mother's womb. He formed you. He shaped you because he had in mind this contribution that you were to make on this planet. And it was going to bring glory and honor to God. So what it stands for, it's an acrostic. It stands for spiritual gift. You don't get a spiritual gift until you become a part of God's family. So you don't get that at birth. You get that when you're born again, born into God's family. So spiritual gift, every believer has at least one spiritual gift, and we're, we're committed to helping you find that spiritual gift and find an area to, to use it. Second is the H, that's your heart. What are you passionate about? Some of you are passionate. I've discovered that, that Alex is passionate about uh, children, uh, orphan children, folks in Africa. He gave me another DVD to watch last night. He's the one that was really the, the driving force um, this past summer when we did the Hotel Rwanda, when we were doing the summer blockbusters and we showed that movie, that was Alex's suggestion because his heart beats a little faster when he sees kids on the other side of the world that have no food, no place to sleep. Janie and I were blown away. We just watched the trailer of the movie last night and we saw a room this size. You could not see the floor because there were children lined up asleep. They're all asleep, malnourished children, but some of them got their heads on up somebody else's lap, their feet over here. It is wherever they can find a space. And there are thousands and thousands of children over there that are going to die if somebody doesn't do something. And Alex's heart beats for that. That's what he's passionate about. God has given you a passion. And, and don't ever think that your passion has to be everybody else's passion. But God gives you that passion to maybe be the little fire that, that, that ignites underneath a congregation to get some to do something. So that's what the H stands for. A is your abilities. Those are your natural talents that God gave you that whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, you have those. P is your personality. God designed that in your mother's womb. And then the E is your experiences. Um, God shaped you to make a contribution in this world. Now, if you just look at this chair up here, you can figure out by looking at this chair pretty much whether you've never seen a chair before or not. You can figure out that this chair what it's for, right? I mean, either you're going to step on it or you're going to sit on it. It's pretty, pretty obvious what that chair is for. I don't think that I'm going to sit on the bass guitar. Doesn't look comfortable. Wes says, no, you're not. Wes would get upset because this costs a lot of money and this is what he plays. It's his instrument. It would be very uncomfortable if I were trying to sit on that. Let me put it down correctly. Okay. So you look at something and a lot of times you can determine what its purpose is by its shape. Hello, God has shaped you for something. And we're going to find out your purpose when we discover how God has shaped you. The way God has made you and fashioned you tells you about what God wants you to do in your life. Romans 12, 6 says, God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. So if I'm good at music, guess what? God wants me to use my musical talents. Now, time out. Okay, whatever it is that, that you feel you're good at, go back to step number three. Okay, step number three is, has my church family confirmed it? Because a lot of times people want to be good at something that they're not good at and nobody has ever confirmed it in their life. Um, seeing this, I mean, think about this. You've been in classes where somebody who does not have the gift of teaching is teaching. And what does it do to the class? It kills it. I mean, you're looking at your watch. You can't wait to get out of there. You've been in places where somebody who does not have the gift of leadership is leading. And what does it do? It causes people who have the gift of leadership to go insane and pull their hair out. That's where all this went. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. 
It causes people to, to pull their hair out. It causes people to, to leave those organizations because they can't stand the fact that there's not leadership. God designed the church and He gifted us. So those who have the gift of leadership should be leading. Those who have the gift of teaching should be teaching. Those who have the gift of music should be doing this. But let me tell you something. God is going to confirm those things in you without your asking. Okay? If you have to say, am I good at this? Nobody's ever told you and you have to run around and try to find out if you're good at it. Little hint. You're not good at it. And the most painful thing in the world is when somebody who's not good at something is in a place where they should be good at something. And it's embarrassing for them and it's embarrassing for the others, whether that's a church organization or PTA or, you know, teaching in the public school, whatever it is. God has given us abilities and we need to use those abilities I remember the first time I ever preached, it was back in 1985. My pastor was going to be gone. I was a music minister at this little bitty church, you know, and uh, my pastor asked me six months ahead of time, would you preach? And I was like, sure, because, you know, six months out, I'll do just about anything without thinking about it. You know, this was back when I was in college. And the first time I preached, man, I was nervous, you know, and, and I, I wrote out everything. I studied like crazy and I preached. And, and a deacon's wife came up to me afterwards. She goes, you're going to be a preacher. And I said, no way. I can't stand preaching. I just did this because my pastor wanted me to. And every time I would move to a different church, I'd get different opportunities to preach. Usually you get to preach on Sunday night or Wednesday night because the pastor doesn't trust you to preach on Sunday morning, you know, that type of deal. And every time people started saying, you're going to be a pastor someday, I'm like, you're nuts. I don't want to be a pastor. Twenty years later, I can't imagine doing anything else. It is, it is my purpose in life. I, I was talking to a man one time, and he said, what do you get the most joy doing? I said, preaching. He said, really? I said, yeah, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Not many people have that joy. Because the number one fear is fear of public speaking. Number one fear that people have in the world is fear of public speaking. Um, but people are going to confirm that. That's the whole thing I'm trying to tell you. People are going to confirm it. Um, do you think that the band does a good job? Yeah, and we tell them all the time. It's because they're good. <laughs> If people aren't telling you, that's a, that's a clear sign that maybe you're not in your area of gifting or shape. Now, we have a whole class at New Life that's designed to help you find your spiritual gift. It's called Class 301. And if you look on the back table, I think there's like 8,000 things that you can sign up for now. We try to see how many we can get on that piece of paper, that table back there. But there's Class 101, which comes up December 18th. That's Discovering Church Membership. Then there's 201, where we will teach you how to meditate on God's Word, how to get a grasp on God's Word. There's a whole acrostic we talk about, how you can firmly hold it. And we go through that. Daryl uh, Connor helps me teach that class. That's coming up in January. And then in February, we're going to do class 301, which is discovering your ministry, your spiritual gift. We're going to show you how God shaped you because a lot of people are going to go, I don't know how I'm shaped. Well, that's our job is to help you find out what you're good at. Um, and this is the first time we've ever offered them three consecutive months. So somebody who's just now checking out the church, you can go to 101 this month, 201 next month and 301 in, in February. And you can move from the outer fringes of the church to the core of the church because we're going to train you on how you can serve. Um, and this is probably what we're going to do in the future is, is offer these because I want to get everybody caught up. We've done 101. We've done 201. I think I don't know how many people we've had go through 201 now since the church began. Probably around 40 people have gone through 201. Zero have gone through 301 because we never offered it before. So it should be our largest class to date. Um, and that'll be in, in February. February 19th is when that is. Now, if you get an impression that's contrary to the way God shaped you, ignore it because God didn't call you to do that. God has shaped you. God made you to be the person you are for, the, for a reason. Because he, 
He wants the way he shaped you to make a contribution to the world so that people look at him and say, man, God is really good. And they don't look at you and say, man, you're really good. God touches me through other people. And that's why God designed them that way. Now, the last thing, number five, do I sense God's peace about it? Do I sense God's peace about it? If you get an impression and it makes you feel pressured, it probably is not from God. If it makes you feel overwhelmed or confused, you ought to question whether that's from God, because God wants his children to sense his peace. First Corinthians 14, 33 says God doesn't stir us up into confusion. God is not the author of confusion. He wants you to have peace in your lives. Those of you who are parents, do you want your kids to feel pressure all the time? No, we want our kids to have fun and enjoy life and have peace. Well, God doesn't want his children to feel pressure all the time either. He wants us to sense his peace as part of uh, our everyday life. The only time you should feel pressure that comes from God is when he has told you specifically to do something and you have not done it. Then you ought to feel pressure. Jeremiah said, Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah was supposed to speak what God told him to speak. And Jeremiah got mad at God because his ministry wasn't going like he thought it should go. And so at one time he says, God, you, you've deceived me. And he says, but even if I close my mouth, your words are like fire in my bones that just got to get out. Well, the pressure was because God had designed him to be a mouthpiece for God. And if he closed his mouth, the pressure was coming from God because he didn't do what he was specifically told by God to do. Most of the time, God wants you to feel pressure, uh, wants you to feel peace, not pressure. And another word for that pressure is worry. Look at Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Jesus Christ. This verse reminds us that worry is never from God. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Did you know that? Because worry is just going over and over in your mind about something that you've got no control over. Meditation is taking God's word and putting it in your mind and going over and over that meditation, that truth of God. So if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. One of the clearest signs that an impression is from God is when you are in the middle of unbelievable stress and storm and you feel peace. That's a clear indication that that what you've heard is from God. Now, as we end this series, I need to go back to something I said three weeks ago on hearing from God. And back then, you know, I said that you've got to do more than hear God. You've got to act on it and then you've got to pass it on to someone else. These are the three parts of the Christian life. Hearing from God, doing what God says, and then passing on what God has taught you to someone else. God speaks to people who do all three. They hear, they act on, and they pass on. We say learn and return. God teaches you something so that you can return it to God in the form of teaching someone else. Learn and return. That's what you're going to spend the rest of your life doing. When you become a Christian, life doesn't get easier. You learn how to deal with life, and then you return that to God by teaching someone else the lessons that God has taught you. Proverbs 22:17 says, listen to this advice, to this wise advice. Follow it closely for it will do you good and you can pass it on to others. So three things I want you to circle the three parts of the Christian life. Listen to this wise advice. Follow it. Circle those words. Follow it. And then pass it on. That's the three part, three parts of the Christian life. So I need to ask you this. Which one of those are you doing? If I had my guess, I would say you are better at listening than you are at doing or 
passing it on. Why? Because that's that's my life. I can be a whole lot better at listening to God instead of doing what God says. If you think about in the United States today, right now, 55, 60, maybe 70 million people attended church. They're finishing up their church services right now across the United States. And the vast majority of them will have heard God speak today and they'll do nothing about it. Would you say that's probably accurate? I mean, from your experience, we're much better at hearing than we are at obeying and then passing it on. But God says, that's the person I want to speak to because they're they're a conduit through which I can work and I can change the world. They're not a reservoir that tries to hold everything in. They want to pass what they learn to others. That's who God speaks to. And I want you to realize that this next month you have the opportunity of a lifetime. More people are open to coming to church around Christmas time than just about any other time except Easter. And you have an opportunity to invite people to come to church. We're, we're starting a new series next week called Christmas Busters um, based on the Mythbusters thing. And we're going to have a blast. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you can only get them to come to one service, invite them to the Christmas Eve service because Someone might get into heaven because of you if you bring them to one of those services because they're going to hear about Christ and they're going to hear about how they can have their lives changed by Christ, um, how this Christ is not a myth. And we're going to talk about all of those things. But there's another opportunity you have December night. I don't know if you've seen anything about it. The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, based on C.S. Lewis's book, is coming out. It is full of Christian symbolism. Janie's reading the book to our children at night so that they'll have that in their minds before they go. And, and we're having a blast. And they are so hacked off because the last two nights we haven't been able to read because we had stuff going on. And they're like, we got to read. we got to finish. Mom says we have to finish the book before we can go see the movie. Well, you're going to be able to go see that because it is packed full. It was C.S. Lewis's ideas um, and, and it, it uh, relates to the Christian life. You can start spiritual conversations with people. Find somebody who doesn't know God, somebody that you want to be in heaven with you someday. Take them to the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe on, on December 9th. Did you know this is also kind of a test thing? It's the people who who uh, produced the Lord of the Rings series. So, you know, the, the, the visual effects are going to be incredible. But this is kind of a test. They're going to see how well this movie does before they decide if they're going to do any of the rest of the series into movies. Man, I'd like for them to do all of them, because the more opportunities we have out in the secular world to tell someone about Christ, the more chances we have to have all of our friends and family and loved ones in heaven. When when I went to my 10 year um, class reunion, uh, it was pretty funny. Janie and I were were married and uh, went to my reunion in Borger, Texas. And it was really funny when, you know, everybody's going, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? And uh, I'm a minister. And people are like, oh. You're a minister. I'm like, God can do amazing things in people's lives. Let me tell you. Well, they asked me to pray. I'm like, oh, you're a preacher. OK, you can pray. So I said, OK. So I got up to pray. And uh, and this had to be of God because I'm not this smart. But I just prayed over the group and I said, God, it is so good to see our friends. And I pray that this reunion. Is really just a warm up for the ultimate reunion when we all die and we stand before you someday in heaven. And I said, God, may all of my friends be there. And I said, Amen. We danced, you know. We had the little group here that wasn't partiers, you know. <laughs> Everybody else was just getting wasted. And we're all here going, whoo, and we're out dancing, you know, having a good time. But I can't tell you how many people, beers in their hands, whatever else they've been doing, walked up and they said, never heard a prayer like that. Thanks for praying that. You have an opportunity to change 
someone's destiny over the next month. And you can reach people that I can't reach because people think, oh, he's paid to say those things. Those of you who've gotten to know me, you know I'm pretty real and I'm a big screw up and, and you love me anyway and I thank you for that. Um, but other people that just come, they don't know that. But they know you. And they trust you. So take what you've heard in this series, do it, and pass it on to others. I want you to take your uh, registration cards and do something for me real quick.